The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you, Kevin and worship team. And uh, this morning I was uh, standing <clears throat> in worship. And uh, for those of you that are uh, tuning in um, online, Usually each week um, we have the whole production team at the back, the whole worship team at the front, and I'm usually the only one in the chairs, and um, I often am just closing my eyes in worship, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, this morning as we were singing the first song, I was closing my eyes because I know the words, and I had this, in my imagination I had this feeling as though I'm going to open my eyes and everybody's going to be here, <laughs> but it didn't happen, so... But uh, we do want to update our church family and anybody tuning in on just where we're at right now and uh, just give you a kind of COVID-19 uh, update for our church. I was reading a, a missionary newsletter. Some of you that were on the Bolivia team would remember Bill and Janice Dick. And they sent a newsletter this past week. I was very interested in what Bill said. He said that when, he, when they were in Indonesia as missionaries in 2004 and the tsunami took place, uh, he was called upon to go to a certain island and do translation work. And they took some, uh, a workshop on how to do that well by a Dr. Jonathan Olford, who said that there are several phases to any kind of crisis like this. And the first phase is called the hero phase. And the hero phase is, is when something like a pandemic that we're going through has happened and everybody just steps up to the plate. I mean, emergency workers, but family members and neighbors, and everybody just steps up and, and rises to the occasion. That's the hero phase. But then he said that after about three months, which is maybe where we're at, <clears throat> um, people get tired. The, the heroes need some rest, and uh, the population might start complaining. They might get restless and tired of the restrictions and so on. And then they, the next phase is kind of when you hit the wall and that wall phase might be just coming upon us. And so we were so grateful to God when we heard that the government of Manitoba lifted some of the constraints, and now instead of 10 people, it's 25 people inside together and 50 outside. And, and so we're grateful for that. <clears throat> and I think that our Premier Brian Pallister, our Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Brent Rusin, uh, not only need to be commended for <clears throat> their leadership, but we need to pray for them, that God will enable them to make wise decisions in the future as well. I'm part of a weekly Zoom meeting with the Manitoba Pastors Association in our denomination, as well as our regional minister, Randy Jaspers. And uh, we're talking weekly about what does it look like to resume normalcy when it comes. And for some of the smaller rural churches, it might be coming sooner than later, but some of the city churches like like ours, it might be some time yet. And I want you to know that the board and the staff of our church have been praying and planning for the coming year of ministry. And we've been doing it with the restrictions in mind that if things are to open up, we can resume ministry in a certain way, and if they don't, we'll continue in ministry in a certain way. And I want you to know we'll be uh, letting you know some of those plans before September for sure. But please continue to pray. Yesterday we had a, a retreat here in our building, the board and the staff, and we began to look at some of the plans that the staff are working on. And uh, we just want you to know, church family, that um, we need your prayers. And uh, Kevin couldn't have said it better. Really what we're all feeling 
right now is we miss each other. That's just so evident. And whenever we see one another, one or two people, it's just a, a refreshing break. <clears throat> so, uh, so that's my little COVID-19 update. Uh, just continue to pray for us as a, as a church family. As we look at the book of Genesis, I'm thinking about how last week, Kevin Schuler, when he preached, he shared the three significant questions that Isaac had to wrestle through. And the first one was, God, when are you going to intervene? That could be one that we're thinking about right now in this pandemic. The second one was, God, are you still here? And then thirdly, God, can I still trust you? <clears throat> and I like what Kevin said last week when he, he told, he shared with us that Kevin and Jill, when they were in the midst of their sense of redirection of calling in their lives, feeling led to leave White Ridge Baptist Church and to enter into church planting, this third question was one that they really had to pour over. Can I still trust you, God? Are we stepping out into this unknown, or are we stepping out into the light of your will? And uh, I know I appreciated Kevin sharing that the, the sense of call to church planning was put on his heart 11 years ago when he was in university, and just now it's starting to come to fruition. And so we want to bless them. We, uh, it's a bittersweet time. We love Kevin and Jill, uh, but we release them for the blessing of God upon the next ministry that they're going to have. And uh, June 21st, you can mark it on your calendar, is going to be their last Sunday. And we hope to, in some virtual way or whatever, just put a blessing upon them in prayer. And before that time, stay tuned. We'll hopefully find some way of uh, just commending them and uh, having a party with them or uh, thanking them. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but uh, God willing, it'll be soon and uh, it'll be real and in person. <laughs> so, so pray for that. Kevin said it well last week. Kevin said, they are being called from something good to something good. And uh, that's what I think is exactly right. So. so today I want to introduce you to the pastor that is going to be replacing uh, pastor Kevin. And uh, he is going to be called upon on an interim basis for one year. And the reason we chose to make it a one-year interim pastor of student ministries position has nothing to do with COVID-19 or budget constraints. It has uh, simply to do with the fact that uh, we as a board wanted to take a little more time to re-examine the future life of our church and the kind of staffing needs that we have within our body. And so in the next six to eight months, that's what we're going to be doing as a board and staff. And so this morning, it's just my pleasure to introduce you to uh, Pastor Rudy Wall. Now, he's already known. He's a, a friend of Kevin's, Schuler's from the past. And um, he's also um, um, well-known by some of our youth uh, who went to Mexico last summer because he was part of the big team that met in Mexico. And so he's already in relationship. And I'm going to let him speak for himself. So we're going to hear from him right now in a short video clip that we've asked him to do. Hi, White Ridge Baptist Church. My name is Rudolph Wall. Most people call me Rudy. And I'm just so excited to come on board with your staff as the uh, pastor of student ministries. Uh, hopefully, I'll get be getting to know you uh, more as I get there. But for now, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm 32. I grew up in Germany, so I do speak German. 
Uh, I grew up with Christian parents with um, and five siblings. We had a lot of fun. And uh, we moved to Canada when I was 16, and that was in 2003. Uh, first, we came to Manitoba. I lived in, near Steinbach for about two and a half years before we came to Alberta, uh, where, where I finished high school and then went into uh, different jobs. Uh, throughout my time and in all kinds of weird jobs, I did find my me constantly uh, called back into ministry. That call was there, and uh, through incredible grace, uh, God worked on me. And at 27, I finally decided to go to Bible College here in Edmonton. And uh, that was that was in 2016, and then in, uh, I later on moved into seminary, and that's where I'm at right now. I am getting close to finishing my master's degree of divinity, uh, but part for that call, part of why I wanted to get into uh, ministry, was uh, the continuous volunteering here at Leduc Fellowship Church. I've been volunteering here since 2008, uh, and uh, it's been an incredible journey. I uh, stopped volunteering in 2016 when I finally uh, stepped into the role of uh, ministry apprentice, uh, also known as an intern uh, for youth and young adults. I took over those ministries, and it's been an incredible journey. And while they were not easy, and there were some struggles, uh, God has definitely been incredibly gracious and brought me through those times as well. Uh, last year, on our missions trip to Mexico, uh, some of your people were there as well. And uh, I got to know Josh Klassen, Ariel Collins, Alexis and Christina Cooper, uh, and Emma Wynn, and obviously Kevin Schuler, uh, who might have some amazing conversations with since and uh, it was just such an amazing time and I really got to know uh, some of you people and I wanted to get to know you more and so I came and visited a couple of times and uh, it's been just such an amazing opportunity to see your heart uh, the heart of the church for connecting people to bringing people closer to God and each other and that's something so amazing I definitely wanted to be a part of that and so through interviews and through conversations with Terry, uh, it's been just such a blessing to be able to do that. Uh, I'm excited to see our youth grow and um, become uh, relevant in our churches and uh, spending time with each other and building relationships with uh, each other and God. And uh, I'm just excited and eager to get that going uh, and uh to continue what you guys are already doing. So starting July, That's I'll be right. around and hopefully I'll get to see you more of you guys more often. And uh, I'm so excited to meet you all in person. Um, yeah, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity and uh, God bless you guys. Amen. Well, that's great to, to meet Rudy, and uh, you'll, you'll be meeting him in person, uh, God willing, in July, uh, August, and uh, we look forward to his. So pray for him. Let's pray right now for this whole matter. Father, we thank you for the ways that you lead, and we see in your providence, God, that uh, you directed our board and our staff and our search committee 
to uh, Rudy Wall. And we pray for him, even as this morning at the Leduc Fellowship, he is announcing uh, his resignation there. We uh, pray for that church, that you'll bless them as they uh, seek other ways of ministry and, and your path forward, as we also do here in Winnipeg. And uh, we thank you, God, that you are the great provider and that you, uh, you do lead in different ways at different times. And so even as Kevin and Jill are getting ready to lift their sails and to feel the winds of God uh, blowing them into the direction of your will, God, it is uh, difficult for us to release them, but uh, we know that they're following you, and so we pray blessing on them as they finish well here with us and begin another ministry, and as we look forward to Rudy coming. And so guide us as a church, God. We, we are uh, constantly in need of your Holy Spirit to lead us, to be able to be Christ-exalting in all of our ways. Oh, God, uh, we, are, we are weak, <clears throat> and we need you if we're going to keep a laser focus on Jesus and on what brings him glory. And so, God, help us. Help us to have a ministry that is relevant. Help us to have a ministry that is all-encompassing in terms of its spiritual food that we provide for people whose souls are needing the, the, to, the sustenance that only you can give. God, enable us, and uh, as we make plans for the fall, just uh, prepare us. We commit to you our leaders, uh, Dr. Rusin, Brian Pallister, and others, Lord, that, that you would give them wisdom as they make decisions for our, our uh, city, Brian Bowman as well, Mayor Bowman, and uh, for our country, uh, our, our, our Prime Minister. God, would you lead them? We uh, pray that we'll be faithful to be good citizens, to uh, be good neighbors, and Lord Jesus, that in your time, may you help us to know how to resume the kind of ministry that can be person to person. For Christ's sake, we pray, amen. Before we open our Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to uh, give some thought to how much you are like your mom or dad, okay? <clears throat> so, um, just give that some thought right now, regardless of your age, I don't care if you're you're three or 33 or 93, can you think about some of the characteristics and tendencies that are in you, good or bad, that are like your mother or father? And once you have that in your mind, I'm going to ask you to, to say it out loud, one of these statements, okay? There's four possible statements. Two of them apply to you. You are going to either say, I am my father's son, or you're going to say, I am my mother's son. Or you're going to say, I am my father's daughter. Or you're going to say, I am my mother's daughter. Okay? <clears throat> so you've got a, a predominance, a leaning in your mind. Now count of three, I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. There's only a few people here. But at home there, I'm going to ask you, regardless of who you're sitting beside, I want you to say it out loud. One, two, three. I am my father's son. Okay. I heard a few voices in the room here. I imagine there's some chuckling going on in the living rooms at home um, because there's, there's, it's an incredible thing, isn't it, how we are like our parents in some way. And I could have said my mom too, I suppose, uh, to some degree. Mom out there, uh, you know, sort of like you too, but um, I'm certainly my father's son. Well, today we're going to meet two brothers, and one would have to say, I am my father's son, and one would have to say, I am my mother's son, because they are so very different. 
Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis and chapter 27. And we're going to look at uh, a very interesting family. Now remember, a major theme in all of Genesis is how the seed of Abraham, this covenant promise that God made to Abraham, how will that be fulfilled in his sons, in his heirs, right up to the time of Israel entering Egypt, we see it in Genesis. And then after Genesis, we see it continue on throughout all of Scripture, where this, the story of the seed of Abraham follows its way all the way to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And all along the way, this seed, as we follow it through Holy Scripture, it's amazing. We think sometimes this seed is going to get lost or this seed is going to be mishandled. And yet God in his faithfulness seems to follow that promise through to to fulfill his covenant and bring about Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, by which we are all who put faith in Christ, invited into a covenant relationship with God the Father. The story that we're looking at this morning is one of the most scandalous stories in all of the Bible. Last week, we... um, we're introduced to Isaac and Rebecca's family by Kevin Schuler, and he showed us a little bit of their dysfunction. The, it's a hard to imagine, really, a, a more dysfunctional family. I was sharing that with my family last night, and someone said, well, what about Lot? Yeah, that was a pretty dysfunctional family as well. There are some pretty poor examples of family life in the Bible. We saw how early the dysfunction began In chapter 25 and verse 28, it says this, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so, to put it bluntly, Esau was a man's man, and Jacob was a mama's boy. I mean, that's just putting it straight out bluntly. That's the way they were. And because Isaac and Rebekah had their favorites... The family was divided. The family was divided. And the amazing thing is that in the midst of it all, God is faithful to fulfill his promise and still be at work in messed up families. Now to understand this story, we must remember one very important truth, and that is that Isaac and Rebekah had been directed by God before these twins were born that the older son would serve the younger, okay? Uh, Verse 23 of chapter 25, there is no explanation given as to why. God does not owe us an explanation. God does not uh, need to give us the reasons why he chooses what he does. In fact, uh, he doesn't often give us directions on why he does things. Abraham was not told up front why he had to leave his homeland and go to the land of Canaan. Wasn't told that. Jacob was not told why Judah, the fourth-born son of Jacob, would be the one that would be heir to the covenant of Abraham. Samuel was not told why David, the youngest of the sons of Jesse, would be anointed as king. And on and on we could go. Um, 
Moses was not told why he had to spend 40 years in the backside of a desert before he was to go back to Egypt and lead Israel out. And we could go on and on. God does not disclose the reasons for why he does things. You might already know that in your experience of walking with God, that oftentimes he does not tell you why ahead of time. But often looking back, you can see maybe why God did what he did or why it was that you went through what you did. What we do know is that God is always at work, he is always sovereign, and he will always fulfill his covenant promises. So Isaac and Rebekah are given this advanced knowledge of these two boys that God's covenant would be passed on through the younger, the firstborn, again, only by minutes, perhaps, but yet the secondborn uh, would be the one. Instead of cooperating with his plan, however, each of them tries to manipulate things for their own end, for their own agenda, and frankly, it results in a colossal mess, and yet God fulfills his promises. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk through the passage, and then we're going to walk through or walk it out and just see what it applies to us. Rather than reading the scripture in its entirety, we're going to walk through it, and I'd like you to just have Genesis chapter 27 open, and uh, the, the, the chapter begins in verse 1, and Isaac is an old man. He is actually 137 years old. His eyes are dim, it says, and since, this isn't in this text, it's another place, but in, since his older brother Ishmael, remember he's older by about 14 years, since his older brother Ishmael died at 137, I think in this text what we're, what we're sensing is that Isaac is starting to feel his mortality and has to decide how is the covenant going to be passed on from me to one of my sons. And so instead of calling Jacob into his bedroom because God had given him the knowledge that he was going to be, Jacob was going to be the one, Instead of calling Jacob into his bedroom to bless him and pass on the covenant to him, he calls his favorite in, he calls Esau. And he ignores God's will. He tries to pass on the blessing to Esau. In preparation for this blessing, he asks Esau to go out and do some hunting and bring in a fa his favorite wild game and make a wonderful meal. This was a, a common practice that a feast would surround this passing on of the blessing except it would normally not be done in secret. It would be done in a public way. The whole family, the neighborhood would be invited, and the father would put his hands on his son and bless him in the eyes of all. But because Isaac is acting in deceit and in disobedience, he does it privately. Now, in verse 5 of Genesis 27, it says that Rebekah is listening in. She's at the door of the tent. She's listening in, and she hears what Isaac is planning. The verb here in Hebrew suggests this is not the first time she's done this. This is not a one-time event. The verb suggests that she was in the habit of listening in, eavesdropping on her husband, her elderly husband. And she is, of course, very concerned that, um, that Esau not be the one that is blessed, but Jacob, her favorite, she was probably aware that Isaac was getting close to this time, and um, this whole passage is throbbing with, with mistrust and with competition. And so when Rebekah hears that Isaac is plotting to bless his son Esau, 
um, she activates what I think is probably a premeditated plan, okay? This is not a spur-of-the-moment decision to outwit her husband. She calls in her favorite son, Jacob. She asks him to go out to the herds, get two goats, bring them back, and she prepares a meal that she knows her husband likes. And um, it says in the scripture that uh, verse 15 tells us that she had already had in her tent some of Esau's clothing. Now, this is odd. Esau is a grown man now, and it's odd. He already is married. It's odd that she would have some of his clothing in her tent. There's a plot going on here. I would suggest that the goat skins that Rebekah places on the hands and on the neck of Jacob are already waiting for the occasion to present itself. Rebecca did not likely take some goat skin that sprawled out on a wall and somehow try and force it over the hand of Jacob or on his neck. She had done some sewing. She had prepared ahead of time. And clearly the deception to pull it off was not just on Rebecca, but, but Jacob himself had to agree to it. He, his name is called uh, deceiver, it means. It was heel grabber, this idea. And so... He is part of the deception. And I must say, I almost cringe when I read the narrative. If you'll pick it up with me in verse 19. 19 of chapter 27. Jacob enters Isaac's tent. And what does he say? Isaac says, who are you? He's blind, remember. Jacob answers, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of your game that your soul may bless me. Verse 20, Isaac asks, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Jacob answers, and this, is, this, this makes me cringe. Jacob answers, The Lord your God granted me success. Whoa! <laughs> He's bringing God into his deception, into his lies. I mean, it's incredible. Brass. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, A little lie is like being a little pregnant. Well, these aren't even little lies. These are bold-faced lies that Jacob is involved in. Continuing the text, verse 21, Isaac says, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 22, he says, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Isaac repeats in verse 24, he says, Are you really my son, Esau? And Jacob responds, I am. I mean, there are several moments in this dialogue where the the Spirit of God could convict Jacob. He could back out. He could say, I'm sorry, Dad. But Isaac eats the meal that is prepared, and then after he's done, he puts his hand on his son's head, and he blesses him. And you'll read the blessing Found in verses uh, 27 and following of chapter 27. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. An all-encompassing blessing that uh, Isaac pronounces over Jacob. 
And no sooner, verse 30 says, no sooner does Jacob leave the presence of his father that Esau comes in from the field and has prepared a feast and is, is walking into his father's tent. Verse 32, Isaac says, who are you? And Esau responds, honestly, I'm your son. I'm your firstborn Esau. And then it says in the Bible, Isaac trembled violently. He's bothered. Verse 33, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, Father. Bless me. You just you feel pain for Esau as he wants his father's blessing. But Isaac said to him, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Verse 36, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Now, we have to kind of get our heads out of the 21st century and go way back in time to the ancient Near East when this idea of a oral, verbal blessing that was pronounced over a child was, was powerful. In fact, in ancient world of Mesopotamia that, that this was in, this was as valid as what we would call someone's last will and testament. This is a legal binding pronouncement. So we, ne- we need to think that way to understand why Isaac couldn't just say, oh, sorry, son, let's change this around. He couldn't do that. And so you can imagine what this leads to in the family. Verse 41, Esau hates Jacob and plans to kill him as soon as his father dies and he can retrieve the blessing. But again, Rebecca, Rebecca has ears on the situation. We don't know how maybe through some servants. But, but she hears about how angry Esau is, how he's planning to kill his brother, and so she devises another plan. She goes into Isaac and says, I don't want my son Jacob marrying one of the Hittite women, one of the Canaanite women. Uh, I'll send him to Laban's, my brother, and he can marry one of our, our people. And Isaac re- agrees to it. He knows that there's really no choice in the matter. What a mess. What a mess this is. Let's talk through this for a moment. I'd like to take a look at all four characters in this story. And I'd like to start with Isaac. And I'm going to call him the senseless one. Now, why do I say that? He was physically senseless, dull of hearing, Sight was dim. Seemed like his sense of touch was a little out of whack. You know, his logic wasn't, wasn't firing on all cylinders. I mean, he was senseless physically. And that senselessness is a picture of his spiritual insensitivity to God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I may be too hard on Isaac, I'll often say this in my premarital sessions, I'm usually harder on the guy. (laughs) So I'm a little harder on Isaac here, maybe. 
But I think that a lot of responsibility falls at his feet. And um, by the way, I, I read this past week when I was studying, I read that he was 60 years old, Isaac, when these twins were born. And that was enough to shock me because that's, that's my age. And uh, I can't imagine Pat uh, coming home one day and telling me that she's expecting twins. That would, that would not go well, I don't think. So now, now many, many, many years later, he's 137, and um, he's, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to cut him some slack here. But he's a senseless one. And look at the scripture in, 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 the, in this passage. In verse 1, his eyes are dim. In verse 20, his logic is failing. How did you find it so quickly? Well, you can't find it so quickly. He's deceiving you. Uh, his touch, come near that I may feel you. Verse 22, how can you not figure out a goat skin and a hairy arm? I don't know. I mean, and then there's a sense of smell. He smells the clothing uh, of Esau and just is deceived. He's not, he's not thinking straight. And this, this uh, physical senselessness is a, a picture of his spiritual insensitivity to God. He is disobeying God. He knew from the prophecy when the boys were yet in their mother's womb, he knew Jacob was the one to pass it on to. And he was being senseless. Let's move on to talk about Rebecca. I, I call her the manipulator. Now, now, Rebecca, you can see all throughout the passage, is seeking to control the outcome in her favor. Someone might defend her after all. She is, she is acting in line with what God's will is, right? I mean, Jacob is the one that's to inherit the promise. So she was acting in line with what God wanted, but is she acting in line in the sense that she's obeying? No. Is it okay to do the right thing in the wrong way? Does the end justify the means you use to get there? No. And so Rebecca was not acting in faith at all. She was trying to fulfill the promise of God for her own means, in her own uh, wisdom, and not trusting God to do it. Just like Abraham and Sarah when they chose Hagar to sleep with Abraham and have Ishmael, they were not trusting God to fulfill his own promise. She was not either. Rebecca is a master manipulator. Let's talk about Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, his name, name means deceiver, but he is a man of shrewd dishonesty, shrewd dishonesty, bold-faced lies. He is complicit in the whole scheme that his mother dreams up, brassy enough to bring God into his arguments with his father in the deceit, it's hard to see him at this stage of his life as the heir of the promise. But we must remember that God is not finished with Jacob yet. And in the weeks to come, as we continue in Genesis, we're going to see God hammering away at Jacob's character, hammering away at Jacob's faith, breaking this man down so that he will be a man that trusts in God and not in his own deception and his ways. And so we're reminded in this with Jacob that God can strike a mighty blow with a, a crooked stick. And, and, and we see this with Jacob. He's, he's not ready. He's not refined. But God's not done with Jacob yet. And then finally we think of Esau. I call him the careless one. And, and, and I say that because he was a man of basic instincts. He just lived out of what his passion dictated. And before you run to his defense... 
give some thought to his ways. Our pity is aroused for, for Esau, especially when we hear him cry out in verse 34, bless me too, father. Esau is clearly the victim of deceit. He is, and I, I'm using the word Jacob in, in, a, in a sense of a verb. He is healed out of his birthright. He is healed when he's born. He's got, Jacob's got his heel. And, and he is healed now, deceived out of his, his blessing. But yet, Esau is guilty. What is he guilty of? He's guilty of devaluing his place in the family. He's guilty of despising the benefits that he was born with. He's guilty of devaluing the, the very covenant that God made. And he actually disqualifies himself from spiritual leadership. How does he do that? Well, take a look at chapter 26, verse 34. We read that Esau went off on his own and married two Hittite women in the land of Canaan. And it says in verse 35, and it made Rebekah and Isaac's life bitter. He is early on just driving through his passions and living out of basic instinct and desire. And then in chapter 28, we read that uh, he, he wants to kill his brother, and when he finds out that that in verse 8, he, he finds out that Canaanite women did not please his father. So what does he do? He goes off to marry another one. He is living in rebellion. Esau is a man of basic instincts. Whether the moment requires hunger, give me some of that stew, or whether it requires some other desire, he's just living that way, and he's disqualifying himself. What a family. How sad it is to see them unravel. Uh, Isaac and Esau are similar. Uh, their natural desires take precedence over their moral and spiritual senses. And Rebecca and Jacob are similar. Their deceitfulness gets in the way of what they want to do and follow God and trust God. But if we were to rewind the story, if we were to back the bus up, and if we were to imagine chapter 27, verse 1 again and rewrite the chapter, could you imagine, what if instead of seeking to press for his own way, Isaac instead called both of his sons into his tent on that fateful day? What if he called Esau and Jacob both into his tent and had Rebekah come in as well? And what if he said something like this to them? Esau, Jacob, my sons, you know that when you two were born, in the, you struggled. Even in the womb, you wrestled within your mother's belly. And when you came out, we were not sure which one of you was going to be born first as you jostled. And you know that all throughout your lives, you two as brothers have competed with each other for supremacy. But today, your mother and I stand here before you, and we want to tell you and remind you of what we've told you before, that there was a prophecy made about you too while you were still in your mother's womb. And before you were born, we were told by God, the Father God that you worship, that the older will serve the younger. Esau, you will serve Jacob. It is not we that have chosen this, it is God, our Father. And so Jacob is called to carry out the covenant that your grandfather Abraham gave us, so please do not fight, sons. Please do not quarrel over this. 
Do not resist his will, Esau or Jacob. Let us see, let us stand back and watch what wondrous things that God has for our family as each of us take our place in his design and in his role that he's called us to. What if, (laughs) what if that would have happened? Well, there's a lot of what ifs in our lives, isn't there? There's a lot of if onlys in our lives. But the, the miracle, the, the, the grace that I want to share with you today, the truth of God that is timeless, that I want to share with you today, is that in spite of the what ifs and if onlys that not, didn't happen, we see in this text the promise that God still is able to fulfill his good pleasure and his promise. So let's think about it now as we walk it out, and let's think about some of the important lessons that we learn. By the way, uh, Sir Walter Scott is the one that is, uh, wrote that famous saying way back in 1808, a timeless truth. He said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Um, timeless truth, deceitfulness never ends well. I'd like to share just four things of how we could work this out and, and apply it to ourselves. And the first thing I want to say is that there's, a, there's a, a danger that is given in this text of doing the wrong things in the right way. Doing the wrong things in the right way. Isaac and Esau are guilty of this. Isaac tried to pass on the blessing to his son. It was the right thing to pass a father, pass on a blessing to his son, but it was the wrong way, it was the wrong son, it was done in secret and so on. Beware of following your own agenda while trying to appear right in doing so. Beware of following your own agenda and trying to hold up some kind of rightness in doing so. I think about this, when I think about the the state we're in right now as the board and the staff of our church. And as we're praying up to God, asking for his leading on our church for the coming year of ministry, and we're doing some ministry plans, how easy it would be for us to simply uh, make our own plans and then say, God, come and bless them, instead of really listening to what God wants for us. Secondly, in reverse order, doing the right thing in the wrong way is what Rebecca and Jacob were guilty of. Rebecca and Jacob were indeed acting in line toward the revealed will of God, yet they were pursuing it in the wrong way, completely the wrong way, manipulating, deceiving, controlling. When we think that we know what's best, think about this in whatever area of life you want, But when we think that we know what is best and we know what is right and we're prepared to do whatever it is to get it done, when we are so headstrong that we are even prepared to use manipulative means to accomplish and to achieve our goals, beware. Because it's not going to go well. Just the end does not justify the means that you use to get there. And we can apply that to so many areas of life. And then there is this lesson that comes out of the fact that there are consequences to our sinful choices and actions. We see this in this story, this family. Isaac and Rebecca's sons both leave home. Now you might say, well, they're they're well up in age to leave home. (laughs) I get that. But, But it isn't just like they left home. They went far away. And we're not told that they saw 
their parents again until we read that they returned, both Jacob and Esau returned to bury their father. There was a reconciliation that took place finally. But in the scripture, um, Rebecca is separated from the son that she loves and she's alienated from the son that she's not so much in love with. And she doesn't have those boys with her the rest of her life. Nothing in scripture says that she ever saw those boys again. There's consequences to our actions. And for Jacob, the consequences of alienation from his own father and from his own brother, his twin brother, for years, more than 20 years, God had a lot of refining to do in Jacob. Let us never, remember, let us never forget that there are consequences to the actions we take, the decisions we make. And then finally, I want to remind us in this text of, as well, the sovereignty of God over our brokenness. Our families are broken. None of us are perfect. Our families are broken. Uh, many of our human relationships go through uh, damage control. And um, it's amazing to me that in the midst of it all, God still can accomplish his purposes. Now, he does it way better when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, when we humble ourselves and seek to nurture healthy relationships with one another so that we can grow together. But oh, how good it is to know that God sovereignly is able. Let's let's, uh, listen to what John Davis, a commentary, says. He says, what appears on the surface to be a series of accidents, failures, and deceptions turns out in the long run to be God's providential working, which includes human frailty as well as strength. Just like Joseph at the end of Genesis when he says, what man intends for evil, God intends for good. There's a great mystery here, he writes, and should cause each one of us to stand before our creator in complete humility. That God is able to work it out. Um, isn't it hard, though, to trust in the providence of God? You know, that word providence is a very interesting word. It comes from the Latin. The word pro, which means beforehand or ahead of. And then vidir, which is, has the idea of to see. To see. So providence means to see beforehand. God is the only one that is able, is capable of providence. And, and he's able to do it because he sees beforehand. And in his providence, he, he allows certain things and he sends certain things and he ignores certain things because he sees beforehand. And, and it's incredible because our English word provide comes from that word Providence. God provides for our lives. Why? Because he is a God of providence. He sees beforehand. He sees way deeper and longer than you could ever see. So the question is, are we going to trust in his providence, in his providing? I want to conclude the message this morning by just acknowledging something that I hope you're able to acknowledge. Now, if this, if this lands on you funny and it, it lands on you as I, as I speak it and you don't like the sounds of it, you might need to take a look at yourself. <laughs> 
Because I think there's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. There's a little Jacob in all of us. What do I mean by that? There's a little Jacob in us that is capable of grabbing at the heels of someone else. There's a little Jacob in all of us that is capable of acting in self-interest without any cause or thought to others and how it lands on them. There's a little Jacob in all of us that is able to be self-righteous in the midst of actually doing something that is contrary to what God wants you to do and pull it off self-righteously, thinking you know best, thinking that the end justifies the means. There's a little Jacob in all of us that is self-deceived, that, that somehow the curtain has not been lifted enough on self-awareness. There's a little Jacob in all of us. And, and it's amazing because when God set his love on Jacob and said, through you will the covenant be fulfilled, he at that moment also decided, I've got to lift that veil of lack of self-awareness. And so later on, Jacob's name turns to Israel. And what does Israel mean? He wrestles with God. And every one of us, as that little Jacob comes out, every one of us is going to have to do business with God. Every one of us, God, whom he set his love on, whom he has said, I've got purposes to fulfill, my covenant will come through you. Every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, God has set his love on us, and he's saying, I'm going to lift the veil of self-awareness. I'm going to let that little Jacob run around for a little while, but I'm going to get him. I'm going to wrestle him down, and he's going to come to see a maturity in his character and in his faith. That's good. That's the good, good father that we worship this morning. Because he's not letting you go your way. He's not letting you go off in your self-deception. He loves you too much for that. You know, this, this covenant that we see here in Jacob at this point, is just a foreshadowing of the new covenant that we find in Jesus Christ. And, and the fact that God could put his love on a guy like Jacob, heel-grabbing, deceiving Jacob, is hope and reminder for us that just as he does that with Jacob, and, and just as that happens, he sets his love on you through Jesus Christ. And he's able to take you in all of your crudeness, in all of your you know, re unrefined ways, in all of the sanctification that you yet need to go through, and he's able to fulfill his purposes in you and through you. That is, that is grace. That is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That is grace. I want to encourage you today I want to encourage you to find comfort in this text. Find comfort in, in the fact that just as your family's not perfect, God, God can work in messed up families. Find comfort in the fact that just as you see that you can be self-deceiving and you can try to deceive others at times, you catch yourself in little lies or you catch yourself not telling the whole truth or you catch yourself bending a conversation to serve your own ends, just as that happens, just... Take comfort in the fact that God's at work in you and cooperate with him. And as we conclude, I just want to ask you to pray with me. Let me pray for you. 
And whatever it is that you want to bring to God in this moment as we conclude our service, um, let me bring it to you now. Let us bring us to God now. Let me pray for you. Father God, now as we come to this point in time when we have heard your word and we respond to your word, we want to be faithful to not uh, look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we saw. As we look in the mirror of Jacob, we see a little Jacob in ourselves, God. We, we say that to you. We say, yes, God, I see it in me. I see that, that way that I like to bend a conversation my way. I like to manipulate sometimes people in the way that serves my ends. God, I see a little bit of that in me. God, uh, we bring ourselves to you. And we ask you to continue to do your work. Search us, oh God, and know us. See what is an offensive way in us and lead us in the way that is your way. God, help us. And in our families, we pray, we lift up families to you this morning that are hurting. Families where brother and sister are not getting along, where people have for a long time not been able to speak to each other well. Oh God, we, we lift them up to you, Jesus. We find comfort in this text that you, oh God, can work out answered prayer and healing and reconciliation in these earthly relationships that have gone wrong. We pray for them, Lord. Right now, I lift up families to you. I lift up marriages. Oh God, we see a dysfunctional marriage in Isaac and Rebecca pulling in different directions. Oh God, would you help marriages this morning that have been pulling in different directions? Help them to pull together, yoked together in oneness. Oh Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name for marriages. Oh Lord, would you meet them, husband and wife, would you cause them to come vulnerably, transparently, honestly, humbly together, confessing wrongs and forgiving one another, starting afresh, Lord, in their family life with one voice for the children, one voice. Oh, God, would you bless them? Oh, Lord, would you help us to see that in Jesus Christ we have been given a covenant relationship with you, Father, that is unlike anything that ever could be. God, the Almighty, loving, setting his love on us, unworthy as we are, like Jacob was, and fulfilling your good plans as you work out all the kinks and rough edges and shine us up to be more and more reflecting of the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you have your way in us individually, in our families, in our homes, and Lord, in White Ridge Baptist Church. For the glory of your son we pray, amen. May God bless you, thank you for joining us this morning and uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week.